Today we have Trevor Thompson on the show. Looking for some life advice? Trevor Thompson is a successful investor and businessman who has learned a lot of valuable lessons in his years of experience. In this episode, he shares some of the most important ones with you. You'll learn who to do business with, where to do business, and how you can add value to those around you. These are lessons that can be applied to your personal life as well as your professional life. Listen and learn. Before we jump into the intro, I want to let everyone know I wrote a book called Why Not You? You can find it on Amazon by searching my name. Why did I write a book? To inspire others to go after their goals and dreams. Because too many people are afraid to take a chance. Because I wish I started earlier. And to share what I've learned. Who is it for? Anyone with that pit in their stomach that wants to do something, but they're afraid to try. Action takers and someone who likes to learn from others. This book is not the five steps to getting rich or anything like that. But for less than $20 and a few hours of reading, you could be well on your way to deciding to go after that goal that lives in the pit of your stomach. Now, on to the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing. Be introduced to the players that are getting it done and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Trevor Thompson before we start the show. Trevor lives in the Austin, Texas area. He's worked for corporate America, has owned his own business, and has invested in 20-plus syndications. He's a master at networking, and he loves to learn from others. He also loves sharing his knowledge with you. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Trevor Thompson. Trevor, appreciate you coming on the show. Man, it's my pleasure to be here. Fantastic. So just a little bit on how we know each other, and then, um, you know, we'll get into it. So Trevor and I both are, are part of the same uh, multifamily mentorship group, the Brad Summock Group in, in Dallas. And Trevor is just a guy that supports everybody, you know, so he's just gone full steam into the multifamily world. So I'm interested to hear what he's been up to and how he's helping others and and go from there. So with that, uh, Trevor, first question typically ask is how many properties and how many units you're invested in? Yeah. So one thing I'm not actually a Summerock student. I just show up at everything. <laughs> oh, is that, is that right? You're not. I'm I like a freeloader. No, I'm a oh, freeloader. That, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I totally a lot of my friends were... are, but I show yeah. up at a lot of events everywhere. So that's fantastic. Yeah. So, so as far as units, I'm about 1400 units, but not all my investments are in multifamily. So total, I have my second GP deal closing in two weeks, and that will put me at a total of 20 syndications. Um, 18 of them is an LP, two is a GP. Um, currently, five have gone full cycle. 
And I'm in multifamily is where I'm mostly in, but I have a retail center, a medical center, a condo to apartment or apartment to condo conversion, a single family home fund and a new build storage. So I'm a little bit diversified uh, in the things I've invested in. But most of my energy and my personal learning is in multifamily. Fantastic. So let's uh, let's start with the LP side and for the the very, very kind of starter people, you know, LP, limited partner, GP, general partner. Um, on the LP side, you said you, you're in 18 deals. Correct. Yeah, um, five of those have gone full cycle. Five have gone full cycle. Uh, maybe explain, one, what does full cycle mean? Yeah, so um, they've two, gone. What, yeah, go. what, what are the returns that you've gotten on these deals? Um, and why did you start investing in multifamily to start with? Yeah, so let's go back to, so I first started in multifamily. So the five that have gone full cycle, what that means is they've gone from when you've invested, the property sold, and they've paid out all the partners, their portion of the income. Um, how they did, I am at both ends of the spectrum. So really? my, my first two passive investments, I actually made no money. I just got my capital back. Um, and there's a bit of a story behind that we can get into. Then one of them, I was just what's called an 11% pref. There was no upside. I was only on a preferred payment. In theory, it's kind of like a loan. And that one did get paid out, even though there was 18 months where they stopped making payments during COVID. They caught back up and got us out. And then my final one was what I'm going to call my home run, 20 months, 3x my money. So I'm at way both ends of the spectrum of like way better returns than ever imagined to just getting my money back. That's awesome. But I counted four deals, two deals, no. Oh, and then no there was another one. 11% yeah. pref and then 20 months. There's another 16% pref, which was a land deal. Okay. And basically it was more like a hard money loan for the entitlement of the land. Right. Fantastic. So, um, <laughs> I like the three X in 20 months. That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. I so like talk that to me too. about the ones that didn't do well. The two, the two that you just got your capital back because I haven't heard too many of those. So yeah. What? So, the, so the first one was in Houston and what had happened was, is they bought the property and even though it was part of my actual first mentorship program that I was a member of, you think they would know better. They're the ones training me. They really messed up on taxes and insurance. Both things just about doubled on them and they weren't prepared for it. They, the property was just sort of floating, going along, you know, one month making money, next month not making money. They got an unsolicited uh, buyer that basically got everybody out with their money back and everybody agreed, let's just get out and move on. Um, how and how then, long were you in that deal? Uh, just a little more than a year. So it wasn't too okay. bad. Oh, no, that's not, that's not. Too yeah. Bad. And then the second one was two years long and it was a combination of several issues. Number one, they, they, they weren't that honest of what level of property it was. I think it was a D plus property and they sold it as a C that they were going to bring it up to a C plus. Um, my fault for not seeing it cause it was only a few hours away, but, uh, I've learned a lot since my first few investments and it was a combination of they were in short-term debt that they could not get refinanced out of. 
So they couldn't get stabilized, couldn't refinance out of it. Then then anybody who had a, a what I'm going to call a C minus D plus property during COVID, they were the ones that were hurt the most. And this particular property really did get hurt. And so, you know, it was a it was a long stretch in there where they really suffered. And this is very unusual for an LP. I actually volunteered to be help the asset management team. And Did you because really? they were overstretched, they had a few properties, they were really stretched. And so I volunteered to help. It's a very interesting story. And so I went down, they had a paid asset manager that was managing seven properties. And to be honest, what I found with my limited knowledge was he wasn't telling anybody what was really happening on the site. The asset manager wasn't telling the, the owners of the of the. And so I finally group? called the, wow. the, the GP, lead GP and said, listen, I got to ask some serious questions here. Like, do you really want to know what's happening? You know, we've been, I've been sitting on these calls here and we're at 92% occupancy. We're at 82 economic. And they've got people that have been gone for three months that are still on the rent roll that they know they're gone. And they've been told not to take them off the rent roll. Um, and, and it's just, this is crazy. Is this what you want reported? And he said, absolutely not. And I said, well, I've got more. I just went through the manager's desk while she was off sick for the day. And I found all these unpaid invoices. But the work had been done. And so I said, why aren't these invoices paid? And I said, well, we don't have any money in the budget, so we're, we're not paying them. And I said, well, that's ridiculous. We've done the work. We need to sort out how to pay them. So they managed to get some, some short-term funding. We got caught up on, and then of course COVID hit and it just snowballed. You know, we went down to more like 66% economic occupancy and then we clawed our way back and we got up to 87% economic occupancy. So I was super proud of what we did. And then they said, well, we're gonna sell this property what we need you to do is get it up to 92. And to do that, this is what you're going to do. Uh, you're going to drop income to two times. And the only people you can refuse are violent offenders and, and sex offenders. And I said, wait a minute, I just spent 10 months here. I told grandma that the, their granddaughter could move in. I told kids that their mom could move in, that we right. fixed this property. And by the way, this was a rough property. Like I actually had armed security for three weeks um, as uh, when they arrested the drug dealer that we turned in. Uh, he got released because of overcrowding and COVID in prison and came Holy back cow. and threatened to kill us all. And it was it was a wild ride. And again, I couldn't have learned any of this any other way. Right. I mean, my learning cycle is fantastic. So long story short, that was the end of me being the volunteer asset manager. Um, they did it. The sale fell through and then they got stuck with all these bad tenants. And oh, then it wow. took a while for the property to get going. Um, and they let the property run down. They were actually running the property with temp agency because oh, I'd messed the one part of the story. They decided they would fire the property management company and I would self-manage. So here I was self-managing 176 you, you deep value add. Were, yep. You two personally were self-managing? <laughs> yeah. So here you are, you raise your hand. Well, what, what were the, where were the GPs? Were they not in the state? Of they were, but they were stretched with a lot of things. And, and to be honest, I was having the time of my life because I was learning all kinds of stuff. I mean, sure. I, I'm okay to be scrappy. I love being, you know, I'm okay. So I was having the time of my life. It was frustrating, 
But at the end of the day, I was making significant progress. I was learning so much, um, you know, and and it was just it was a big education. And, um, you know, I, I was and then I thought, OK, we're finally here, like we're so close to stabilization. And then when they said they wanted to, you know, just fill it to sell it, I, I wouldn't do it. And right. uh, like, um, oh. and, and I think that ultimately really I think it would have sold at proper and we could have slowly brought it up to to being more stabilized and we would have been able to sell it at a much better price. Um, and it ended up taking a long time to close because it was a very unstabilized property and they let the property go down. So they ended up with a $820,000 retrade at close, all con- all condition based. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so... So, I feel lucky just to get my money back, to be honest. And I don't want to scare passive investors because this is not normal, right? Um, right. I just happened to have that happen. And, you know, and on another personal level, it actually, that was the same year I got let go with COVID. I worked for iFly Indoor Skydiving for 20 years. So I managed to switch my status to professional real estate. Um, so there was definitely a significant tax savings for me being able to do that. And so there, there was a personal win that way. That's huge. So um, you've gone through twenty syndications, eighteen <laughs> as an LP. We'll get, let's get to we'll get to the GP in a little while. But let's talk about those eighteen. You mentioned a few times that learning, learning, learning. Like, yeah. what have you learned by doing so many? So LP number deals? one, who you invest with is critically important. You know, the who makes all the difference in the world. You know, I didn't know the value of the who and, you know, doing deals with people that you've you've come to know, you've come to like. Um, And again, everybody looks good, right? Nobody tells you normally nobody tells you their deals that haven't gone well. And, you know, my deal that I 3X was actually, I've, I've tracked these sponsors for a while. Um, I know you're actually partners in one of their deals in Tucson. I don't know if we want to mention names, All but. Right. Uh, yeah. And, Gary Lipsky or. Yeah, yeah. Gary Lipsky yep. and Kyle, they were partners on that first one. And, and yep. since then, I've invested on Gary's uh, fourth or fifth deal there. But what impressed me the most with them is I went to several of their events and I actually paid for their asset management training because I was so eager to learn and do different things. And they talked about their mistakes. And a lot of people think like, Oh, Trevor, why are you telling people mistakes or why are you doing these things? Cause I actually, I now look for people that are genuine and tell you, listen, man, we've had some struggles and this is how we've overcome them. You know, this is what we did. And at the end of the day, the story is still the investor capital was preserved, right? That is the number one. So even though I made no money on those deals right. and I, I'm not going to reinvest with that group again, um, they still at least preserved my capital and they took that seriously, which was important. But the who you invest with is super important. Secondly, I didn't understand some of the dynamics of, of, you know, what I'm going to call the simple logistics of it passively investing, right? I, the first time I went, they said, okay, we're going to increase the rents to this much. And if I'd actually just looked at the income and understood that you typically want to have two and a half to three times income in the area, the rents that they said in their performer were unachievable at those 
that at those multiples because um, the area income one mile from the property was too low. And so I now as I look, I start to look more for those things, right? Are their projections realistic, right? So let's and, simplify that for, for the listeners. I think that's, yeah. a, that's a great point. So, um, so if somebody's, uh, you know, income is median household income in the surrounding area is $40,000. Yeah. Then what is the maximum rent that you can bump it to? So let me just think three times. So that's like, uh, boy, you're trying to get me to do math now. Yes, I'm. I'm <laughs> trying. I'm trying to help the listeners understand <laughs> that impact. He's he's plugging away on a calculator right now. That's yeah. Why it's so so they can afford about eight fifty rent roughly. So that's a huge learning lesson. Yeah. Right. Huge you learning know, lesson. You know. So how you calculate? Can you go walk through the math real quick on that? Yeah. So, so forty thousand. Divided by 12 for your, your monthly. Yeah. So that, that, and then divided by three um, is, that's actually 1100. I did the math the wrong way. Okay. So that, that's how they can figure out, you know, as a limited partner, because once you transfer your money, once you wire your money into the deal and the deal is being operated by the general partner, the limited partners don't have any control anymore. Yeah. Right. So the, you know, all the control is really on the front end asking questions. Yes. And so, and doing your due diligence and, you know, possibly looking at what, you know, Trevor's talking about, like, okay, do the rents make sense where they want to yeah. go? Do, does the area support it? Um, another thing you can possibly do is just look on apartments.com and look yes, at exactly other properties in the area and see what kind of rents they're achieving, you know? Yeah. And and um, do you think that this property after it's rehabbed, you know, can get there? Yes. So those are those the two main lessons that you learned or were there were there more? I mean, again, if you're gonna invest in Texas, it's it's balanced out a little bit, but when I first started investing five years ago, the taxes was not near significant growth and insurance, right? Ta insurance in Texas is more than doubled. And five years ago, they just, they hadn't looked at it. Now, when you look at new deals now, um, it, you know, things have norm, I wouldn't say they're normalized out, but it's not as, not as, but they're, those are two things that Texas is very aggressive on. Yeah, so I, I that happened to me on my first syndication deal. Uh, we budgeted for 80% of the purchase price. For, for property taxes. And then, you know, you, you can look at the county, um, you know, property tax rates, and you can see you, what, what they're gonna charge, the act, actual percentage, but you don't know what they're gonna value your property at. So, um, you know, I had a number of people telling me use 80%, and when, when uh, it actually came in, they valued the property higher than our purchase price. Oh, wow which is unheard of. Typically, the, the most they're going to go up to is your purchase price. Yeah. Um, so we ended up having to hire a you know, tax uh, you know, consultant that went and, and um, we ended up having to go through litigation to bring that down. But, you know, that's a scenario where property taxes is a huge percentage of your budget in a multifamily deal. Um, in Texas, at least, yeah. and 
So if you're off on that number significantly, um, going from 80% to 800%, that was a big number that we had to swallow. Um, thankfully, we were getting higher rents than we had projected. Um, so that offset it and, and we were able to absorb it. But if, if we weren't able to achieve those rents, you know, we could have been in some trouble. Yeah, and it and that and then insurance, of course, has gone up quickly in Texas. Um, a big part of it, of course, is Katrina and then Snowgeddon. Um, we yeah. all remember that. And Absolutely. those two things, you know, it's interesting. I, I just realized, I learned the other day that Snowgeddon was actually a bigger insurance liability than Katrina was, if you can really? imagine. Yeah, bizarre, right? You wouldn't think so. But the fact that it was so widespread across such a big area, um, you know, versus very localized and just in one community. That, that makes sense, I guess, when you think about it. So, you know, one thing I would add to, and I'm sure you look at this, um, you know, so you have who do you invest with and the dynamics. Um, you know, I would tell passive investors the first thing I would, I would consider that you do is pick the market you want to be in yeah. first. So you want to be in a landlord-friendly state. You want to be in a, a state that's growing, you know, growing population, growing income, growing jobs. Um, and then the next step is I'm totally in agreement with, with Trevor is, is who you invest with. So once you determine like, look, I want to be in Texas or I want to be in you know, Nashville, or I want to be in Florida, or wherever, you know, in a growth market, then pick syndicators that you have interest in those markets and try to get to know those people. Um, if they're not interested in getting to know yeah. you, then pass. There's plenty of syndicators that want to, to get to know you and build a relationship. Um, so yeah, and that's that, huge, hugely important. Uh, the way I talk about it is I'm actually, I'm, I'm the jockey first, which is the syndicator, right? the horse, which is the asset, because I'm in a couple other assets other than multifamily. And then the track is the area, right? And, you know, so I'm 90% invested in Texas because I live here. I know the state. It's a great state. I've got one investment in Arizona. I've got one in North and one in South Carolina. Um, all, again, pro-business states, um, areas of rapid, rapid growth, um, lots of stability, uh, great markets to invest in. So talk about the markets. Like, why is that important that it's a pro-business state or, or that it's growing? Like, why is that important? You know, because you want to be able to implement your business plan, right? So, so if you look at some of the, the negative things that happened through covid um, you know, it, Texas was still impacted, but not near as much as other places. And they had programs to help with relief and do things, you know, um, just again, simple story, you know, pro-business states. So Texas, we opened back up almost immediately, right? We were back in business, restaurants right, were serving was, people. Yeah. It was we, like, we, when are we going to open? Come on. <laughs> and then, you know, again, at the time I just left for iFly and I started watching it and places like California and Washington state, they were closed 10 months. And I'm originally from Canada. They were closed 14 months, 14 months. It's, it's insane. Like closed. Like, and then when restaurants opened, you actually had to show proof of vaccination to go eat. I mean, completely like, like, so you want to be in places that, that make it easy to do business because apartment complex, even though it's very 
good business, it's still a business, still a challenge. And when you have outside forces that are negatively impacting you, where you can evict people, you can't collect the rents. Um, they have long-term evictions. You know, it could take you three to six months in some states to get rid of a tenant, where in Texas, you could normally 30 to 45 days. That's about as complicated as it gets. That, I mean, that right there is a huge, huge. difference. You know, if you're... You know, I've heard stories of people that own property in, in New York or California, and they had people in there that they couldn't get out. They were not paying their rent, and they could yeah. not get out of their, their property for six months, nine months, and they were non-paying. Yeah. And, you know, in Texas, it's not like that. So that that's huge. Um, the growing aspect, I'll, I'll go back to COVID also because, um, you know, Across the country, people were, you know, there were people on TV saying, don't pay your rent, right? And, yeah. and there were some people in some of my properties that, that ended up in the middle of the night, they just took off, yeah. right? And, but because we were in a growing market, because we had people that were moving in, there were people that were immediately ready to move in there. There was yeah. a waiting list of people to get in. So if you're, in a growth market, that can happen. You can easily fill that vacancy. But if you're in a market where everybody's leaving, then it's much harder to, you know, find a replacement for that tenant when they leave. Yeah, definitely. And and also to some, just some of the lower class properties, like the one we were talking about earlier that I was asset manager, people's mentalities are different. So Rent, not rent relief, but just the relief checks came out from the government. So I literally thought, oh, wow, the checks came. People are going to come in and pay the rent. <laughs> and I literally went to the apartment complex the, that Monday and I noticed over 20 big screen boxes <laughs> empty in the dumpster. And I went, they're not paying the rent. They all bought right. big screen TVs, but I had yes. an idea. So I actually went and bought a big screen TV and said, anybody who pays their rent on time will be put in a raffle to win a big screen TV. Um, cost me $350 to get a big screen TV. Um, we had, we'd given them a couple of discounts trying to help them to catch up and stuff. So that was our first month going back to full rent payment. So we said, hey, if you pay your rent, um, you'll get a raffle ticket to win the TV, um, which is, you know, uh, try to at least be clever. That, no, that's smart. And, you know, look, as a business owner and apartment owners are business owners, look, at times there's things that weren't in the, in the budget, weren't planned, and you have to come up with solutions. And that, you know, worked for some people doing that raffle, yeah. getting people to, to pay to be included in that raffle. And it may not have worked. Right. And if it didn't work, then you'd have to come up with something different. Yeah. And and keep trying to figure out what's going to work and what's not. So, again, going staying on the LP side, uh, my experience, I don't know about yours, but my experience is like I get a lot of deals in my email box now. And yes. almost every deal looks the same in terms of return profile. Yeah. So, you know, it used to be. Eight to ten percent cash on cash. Now maybe it's anywhere six to nine percent, um, and total return eighty percent to one hundred twenty percent over five years. Um, so all these deals, you know, they look pretty similar to each other. And if you're completely new, you could 
chase, well, this one says 120%, that one yeah. says 80%. But what happens is you get to know the people and you know, all right, this guy always comes out with, you know, a lower number, but he always kills it. Yeah. You know, sets expectations low and and then just blows through the number. And then other people might set it a little higher and they don't get there. They barely get there, you know. So what's your experience and how do you determine which deals to invest in? Because they kind of all look the same. Yeah, so I start with the who uh, always. And again, I've got a couple of deals with some of the same sponsors. And then I kind of, I'm going to call it wait for the stars to align. So for example, I picked a who. She's actually mostly a capital raiser, but she's always a GP on her deals. We've, we've been, we were connected for more than a year together. You know, we talked, I actually tried to get her to join one deal I was in. Um, she couldn't, and then that deal turned out not to work anyways. So, so the who sent me a deal. And then I looked at the main GPs and I knew them. I'd also tracked them and spent some time listening to them. Then the, the, the horse, the asset class, I wanted to do my first storage investment. And then the where was just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And that was a market I wanted to invest in because it's just, it's on fire as much as, or more than even Texas. And so kind of the way I looked at it, okay, I got the trifecta, right? I've been paying attention to the who. So I sit and look at my email box and I delete all the people I'm not tracking. Then when I start tracking you, I go to your webinars, you know? So for example, you just sent a deal out on glamping. Um, you probably don't even know this. I reached out and connected to your partner and said, you're I doing a deal with Darren. I like Darren. I want to know you. Because mm -hmm. oh, And then we had a nice call with a little mix up, but we're going to connect again. Sure. And that's me connecting the dots of the who's. And so I do a lot of the who's, right? I pick somebody I like, I watch. And then I, then it's the what, right? And, you know, at this time, I didn't have disposable income, but it was another asset class. I was seriously thinking, okay, I, my diversification is just a few asset classes out of multifamily just to balance myself out and, and learn about other markets. So the way it came across, right, I got a deal from somebody I've been tracking for more than a year. I, connect, I knew her partners, the main GPs, and I knew I was interested in doing my first storage investment, and I knew I wanted something in the Carolinas. And so all the, all the trifecta kind of aligned. You know, I went to the webinar, and then I invested. Um, but it, it took me a year to get to the who's, and then all of a sudden, the asset class and the where, you know, and if their head deal had been in Alabama, it would have been a no, because I don't know anything about Alabama. So sure. it had to be Florida, Carolinas, Arizona, or Texas, right? Gotcha. So, but that's an example of, all right, you think about, hey, you're being a limited partner, you're, you're putting in capital. And some people may look at that like, why do I have to get educated? Yeah. Right? And you don't have to, but like, don't complain if all of a sudden you get into a bad deal. Like, so you, I'm completely in agreement that the people are the most important thing. Because yeah. look, all these deals, the returns are phenomenal. I mean, there's been a lot of deals over the last number of years that have been, you know, double your money yeah. in two, three, four years. And, you know, you said you had a 3X deal. Um, you know, but 
lot of these deals, they don't always go in a straight line. You know, yeah. <laughs> they could all of a sudden have some hiccup and, you know, they're, they're challenged for a, for a three-month period or a six-month period. And then all of a sudden they get it and they, you know, come out the other side and, and you know, the back-end sales price is great. But it's knowing that the people that are running the ship, that you have confidence in them. Yeah. You know? And if you, you are not going to spend time to get to know the people and, you know, ask other people and learn, then shame on you, yeah. right? I mean, what, what should you expect? You know, so I, th- I think that's fantastic. I mean, even as an LP, okay, listeners, listen, Trevor has invested in 18 deals. Even as an LP, he spent the time to get to know people. And that doesn't mean just one conversation. He said he's been following somebody for over a year. Yeah. You know, before he invested with them. So that's huge. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and at the end of the day too, you know, I'm hoping to do multiple deals with the same people. So I want to pick right and then, you know, build, build my relationship. And then, you know, I'm switching over to get to the active side. So I also look for people. There's a possibility um, that we have some things in common, some things where I could bring value and, you know, so for me, because I'm switching to there, but I'm still going to be a passive no matter what, right? I'm, I'm just a little out of balance, right? I want to get a few more active deals, but I always want to be passive and I'll mostly be passive in other asset classes just because I don't understand them as much and I want to learn. Sure. Um, you know, I don't understand glamping, you know, I've never been, I don't have anything, right. uh, but it looks cool and it go, looks go. Inter- and it looks like the future, Right. It looks like something that is is, you know, it's kind of like Harley Davidson's right. Rich people buying motorcycles. This is rich (laughs) people buying motorhomes. It's 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 a good market. Right. With disposable income. It it very well could be. You know, I think it is. But like, you know, time will tell. Nobody has a crystal ball. But, um, you know, hey, let's talk about your background. Um, You mentioned that you worked with iFly. Uh, maybe share what does iFly do? What was what role yeah. and capacity did you work um, with them? And you know, you probably worked other places before that. So what what is your background? Yeah, so I have a very I have the strangest background. In fact, I just did a video. Am I the world's most unusual man? Because someone <laughs> introduced me as that. So I actually started working for Ripley's, believe it or not, at age thirteen. Holy cow! I worked really? for them all through high school till age eighteen. Then I went to Guinness World of Records. What, what, what did you do for them? Uh, so I started out handing brochures out on the street corner, and then eventually in five years worked my way up to a, a supervisory position. Awesome. And then and 18, you went to Guinness World I went to World Guinness, Records. yeah, and they opened up a museum just down the street in Niagara Falls. And actually, my old boss went down there and opened it up. So I went down there and started as a shift supervisor, shortly became assistant manager, certainly became manager. Then be, they gave me the title of vice president, which was just a nicer way to say we like you and we're going to pay you a little <laughs> more money. And then I actually got hired by Guinness to manage the rights. They didn't own them and they bought them out for North America. So I went and I ran a company owned location in the Empire State Building in New York City, oh, um, cool. opened up a franchise location on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles. Um, 
had the world's tallest woman. She actually worked for me. She was seven, seven and a quarter. And we actually traveled for TV shows. Um, probably the coolest thing that I did was uh, we gave Michael Jackson a Lifetime Achievement Award. And I went to a lunch um, and I was three, three places away from Michael Jackson. And uh, that was right when he signed the biggest record contract ever with Sony Records. Um, before the rest of his world started to unravel, but uh, yeah. it was fascinating to meet him. And then I wanted to open a Guinness and I wanted to do it in Orlando. I wanted to come to America. Orlando was uh, where attractions were done. And so I raised the money, found a location, and then Ripley's bought the rights out and wouldn't give it to me. So strangely enough, I'd also committed to open a year-round haunted house in Orlando, of all the things. So I moved to Orlando and opened a year-round haunted house um, it was not very successful. I say it was the scariest three years of my life. Like <laughs> I would get paid on Thursday and because we weren't successful, I had to put my money in the bank and back in so my employees could get paid and hope I made enough money on the weekend to get paid money. It was that crazy. Um, and then I got recruited by iFly. So iFly is indoor skydiving. So I got recruited by the original owner in Orlando, Florida. Um, when I started with his business, he was losing $50,000 a month. He oh, wow. just didn't understand how to operate it. Um, oddly enough, too, the very first team meeting, he gave everybody a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I read it, blew my mind, and I put it on the shelf and just kept doing my job, which was the biggest mistake of my life. I should have started investing and creating passive income back then. Took me a long time to figure that that was a big mistake that I made. And then... Obviously, we became very successful. We started growing the business. We took on another partner. We got a big infusion, $50 million to really build the company big. And my role, I'd opened and operated 11 locations in the U.S. And then they decided they were going to really blow the company up to make it appealing to private equity. And so they split my role. So I went to new tunnel openings. Um, and I actually opened 46 of 80 worldwide locations. So all over the United States, um, Queenstown, New Zealand, Brisbane, Australia, Mel Melbourne, Perth, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Brazilia, Brazil, Calgary, Canada. So not um, just the U.S. I mean, you were flying yeah. all over the world. First one on a cruise ship. So I actually went on a Royal Caribbean cruise and spent a week with their sports department learning how we could incorporate a wind tunnel into their business and help them launch the first one. Um, so it was an amazing journey. And it's it, and we also, during that time, took over three franchise locations that were struggling. And it's the one that is most comparable to what you do with apartment syndication. So we went in, there was a struggling business that needed somebody to come in and take better care of it. So we came in, we had some CapEx budget to renovate it. We had better management systems because they were kind of doing it themselves, sort of monpa operators. And, you know, in our business, it was called to increase the EBITDA, which is very much the same as NOI. And all three businesses I took over within a year, we increased it 30%. Um, so that's one of the things that kind of gave me the skill set. We sold it to private equity company, and that was the first time that I got it, what I'm going to call a significant payday. Mm -hmm. So now I no longer had an excuse Good not to you. invest in real estate. So I decided, okay, I, I can't do anything active. Let me, let me look in it. To be honest, I started looking at retail and office. And then one day I stumbled across multifamily and I went, wow, that's amazing. 
I had like all of these things kind of aligned together that I had no idea of, right? I just thought toilets, tennis, and trash like everyone else does. Yeah. And I went to this weekend seminar and I went, hold on a minute. This is exactly what I'm doing in my life right now. Taking businesses, growing them, get them better, improving the, the bottom line. That's all I've done my whole life. And I had no idea that it was a business. Then I started to learn what non-recourse debt and you've got all this leverage power. Wait, bonus depreciation. And I started adding all these things together and it was like, I had no idea. And so, of course, that's why I jumped in and I've been in so many deals um, and it's just was mind boggling. I had no idea it was a business. Um, I just had no idea. I'm, I'm with you, Mr. Like, I wish I've been in it now four years and I wish I had started a lot. Yeah. A long, long time ago. For, look, for you young listeners, you get started with real estate early. Yeah. You know, yeah. have somebody else pay your mortgage and, and then you you reap the benefits of being an owner. I mean, it's yeah. just it's just crazy how many people. So I was at um, I went back to my hometown last week, and I can't tell you how many people. I guess it, we haven't even talked about mindset, but it really comes down to mindset. You know, I was scared to invest in real estate, um, yeah. and it sounds it sounds like it's really complicated and it it it's a big dollar amount in the beginning, um, but I. I was shocked by how many people are kind of still, you know, 20, 30 years later, still living kind of paycheck to paycheck. Yep. And it, it's, it's amazing. It's just staggering. You know, I always say, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. And I always like to make this thing. Now, again, let's say you, you worked really hard and you got $100,000 and you invest it. The sort of rule of thumb is it doubles every five years. So five years, it's 200000 Another five years, it's 400,000. Another five years, it's 800,000. Another five years, it's 1.6 million. Another five years, it's 3.2 million. It's staggering. You know, and I started in my 50s, um, so I don't have that effect. You know, I gotta, I gotta work a little harder to get there. <laughs> you know, if I just well, started- Hey, let, let's go back to that first one, right? So 100,000, it's gonna be 200,000 after the first five years. If you put in 100,000 into a st stock ETF, what's yeah. the, you know, the S&P average return is what, seven to 9%? Yeah. Um, so let's say, let's even give it 9%. 9% times five is 45%. So at the end of the year, end of the five years, you're 145,000 yeah. versus 200,000. Then you look at the next five years, you're 400,000 versus what, 10 years at, yeah. you know, nine, nine, 190,000, right? So it, it really over time just can be such a huge difference. In addition to that, you know, there's massive tax, yes. you know, savings that can be had yeah. by being in real estate, uh, which is, you know, completely another topic, but um, massive, massive tax implications and leverage that you yeah. cannot get. Um, and, you know, I guess you can get it in the stock market if you're doing it on margin. Um, but, you know, just massive leverage and massive tax implications. Hey, I wanted to ask you something on the, you know, this is outside of real estate, but uh, your experience, the haunted house deal. 
three years, okay? And, you know, it was not successful. Would you have changed it? Would you still do it today, you know, looking back? And what did you learn from that time frame? So first of all, I learned, do, even though I understood the entertainment business, I didn't understand the haunted house business. Um, I definitely overestimated the, the interest in a year-round haunted house. Um, you know, we did really well during holiday seasons and obviously during the month of October. But it just, it, we, I just learned so much that, uh, you know, um, it, it just... We, it was just so challenging to make money. So challenging so, to make money. If you took like a, a saying that you would hear in the real estate world over and over and over again, like, you know, find people that have done what you want to do. Yeah. And and mimic what they do. Like, had you found somebody that yeah. owned haunted houses, would that have been beneficial to you? Way beneficial. Just to give you an idea how bad it was. We opened on Friday the 13th at 1300 hours and within 20 minutes realized that we had built something that didn't work and had to close on our opening party. Oh, no. Yeah, you talk about driving home thinking, what in the world? I just moved to States. I just spent this friend of mine's, you know, we went double budget, you know, it was supposed to cost like under a million and we were almost at $2 million. Um, interesting story. He ended up holding the real estate and ended up making a pile of money on the real estate. So way more than covered his losses. Um, but, um, in, you know, interesting story. So he was, he was a real estate guy that did a lot of real estate deals. His claim to fame in Orlando was he would buy hotels, then scrape off the frontage and then build gift shops and retail stores and then sell the hotel back basically for what he paid for it and get the front land for free. He was really good at that kind of wheeling, dealing, um, you know, did a lot of things. And, uh, but, you know, I learned a lot about real estate from him as well. And, uh, but it was, yeah, it was just, and the reason I stayed there three years was literally from a conversation. He said, I'm going to put all my money in. You're going to get bored and leave. And I said, I guarantee I'll stay for three years. It was, uh, and, and then you like, were a man to your word. and literally about two months before that, a headhunter recruited me for iFly, like the end of three years. And then I actually negotiated with iFly that I would help him for another year in the transition to new people running it for him. Um, you know, it's very, very interesting how the timing just worked out really well for me. Man upstairs was looking out after, yeah. you know, so, you know, I think that that, you know, for, for the listeners benefit, like, look, we're, it's mainly a real estate show, right? Um, yeah. but no matter what you're going to do in life, like if you're going to take a chance, go and find somebody that's done it, man. Like yeah. people that always have this dream of starting a restaurant, they, you know, and they don't go out and do the research and don't yeah. talk to other restaurant owners to find out, you know, what's the good, the bad, and the ugly. you like, go out and talk to people that have done it so that you know what you're in for before you, you spend all that capital on it. Yeah. Um, that, that's and, and that's the power of that in that market of franchises, obviously, right? Someone who's proven a concept and then is selling you more than just the restaurant. They're selling you the how-to. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, now, you have all that experience. How does that help you in the, now you're making the transition from LP to GP. How does all that experience 
help you going into the GP world? Yeah, because again, something I didn't sort of till the big aha moment that this is a business and I've spent my entire life running and opening businesses and we didn't even talk. I owned several different businesses. I had a consulting company. Um, I've done lots of entrepreneurial type stuff all through my career. And that's all real estate on the active side really is, right? It's it's taking a business, running it better than the next the guy before you ran it and giving returns to your profits, right? Or to your partners and to things. And so my entire life was dedicated to improving the bottom line, right? And whether that was through increasing revenue, decreasing expenses, you know, efficiencies, my entire life has been that. And so the transition into being an asset manager and being in the apartment business, it's it's kind of a simple transition because that's, I mean, in theory, I've been doing it my whole life. Um, it's just in a different class now in a different space and don't there's there's nuances which is why again i've associated it's why i show up at all the events that's why you everybody thinks i'm a part of their program by the way (laughs) i meet jake and gino people rod cleek people they say how long you been with the program i said no i'm just a i'm just a show up guy that you know but you know, and just because I'm, I'm I'm a big networker, right? It's hugely important. This to me. guy is a huge networker. I'm telling you, I don't know if I've been to an event that he's not at. I mean, <laughs> he he is a huge networker. And what value do you get out of that? I'm meeting people like you. I mean, right. in the relationships, and you know, you you just start to connect with people, and you know, it, and it's just. Uh, and, and I like to build the pieces. Just like I said, I got a deal sent by you and I hadn't heard of your partner. And I thought, well, I don't know this guy. So I reach out and say, hey, I see you're in a deal. Our common connector is Darren. Um, could I talk to you? Um, and I just that I just keep building all the dots. Right. And that's how I'm building my my, you know, to me, my network is my net worth. Right. And yeah. I, I just keep trying to add value to people and keep connecting with people and just, I just, I have a plan, you know, this, you know, at the beginning of this year, I last end of last year, I watched Grant Cardone talk about omnipresence. And he said, if people don't know who you are, it's your fault. And in today's world, they can get to know you. And of course that guy is omnipresent, yeah, <laughs> like oh, yes. crazy. Absolutely. I'm nowhere near Grant Cardone's, uh, you know, but, and then I just started, you know, and I set a goal to be on so many podcasts. I set a goal to go to so many events. Now, next year I'm changing my plan. I'm going to spend a little more energy on learning more capital raising and connecting the dots, but it's, it's an evolution. It's not like a shift. That's, that's huge. And so when you're now you're LP and you're moving into the GP space, how did you let people know that you were looking for a different role, that you were you, you wanted to be part of the GP team? And how did you yeah, find so, partners? So I just started connecting with people. So they would say, um, I would someone would say, hey, we're looking at deals in Texas. And I would just see that on a meetup. I would connect with them and find out nobody's in Texas. So I would say, listen, I got an idea for you. You need somebody to go visit a property. I will go visit the property for you. I guarantee I won't steal it from you. I'll take photos. I'll do broker tours. I'll visit comps. I'll help you. And in exchange, I'd like to get on your deal if the deal happens. Um, And so, you know, the law of averages, how many happen? Um, It was a little bit surprising to me, you know, the fact that I did about 30 tours and (laughs) I, I got on like... 
we came second on one and then I got on another one. And then unfortunately, so my first two GP deals um, didn't happen. And my very first GP deal, um, we ended up, I ended up losing some significant money um, just because we couldn't get it done. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, one of the things you said, though, was that you, like, you focused on adding value to yeah. others. And I think that that's, you know, what you have to, you know, from listeners benefit, you have to do is if you want to move into that role, first of all, you have to tell people what you're looking for, right? If you, people are not going to come knocking at your door and say, hey, do you want to switch from being an LP to a GP? Yeah. Like, you, that's just not going to happen. So you have to tell people that you're looking to become a general partner in deals. And then secondly, you have to provide something different, you know, yeah. to that team. So, you know, add value in some way that, you know, you being part of that team is better than those other guys be, being on their own. Yeah. So if you can't, communicate that, then it's going to be very difficult for you to find, you know, people that want to be on board. Um, I've had plenty of people say to me that were, you know, limited partners, hey, you know, just, I want to learn the business. Can you just take me to all the meetings yeah. and take me to, you know, the, you know, when you go meet on site with your on site leasing manager and this and that and the other thing. And, you know, as a general partner, your number one goal is to, maximize, you know, the returns for all of the investors. And it's very difficult to do that and also bring yeah. all these people and be a teacher and all that. So I, cause I was that guy when I was an LP, I was trying to say the same thing to people. Yeah. I was like, Hey, this is going to be a ton of rehab on this. Like, can I look at how you do the bids and how you do it? And yeah, yeah, no problem, Darren. And then, you know, Sure enough, I get in the deal and then I don't, I don't get called, you know, um, <laughs> but so be it. Um, but I love that you said you looked for teams, you know, your niche that you, at least the one that you said was you looked for teams that weren't in Texas yeah, that, that were looking to buy in Texas. And then you said, Hey, look, I could be boots on the ground, you yeah. know, and that's a great, way of providing value. I mean, somebody could be in the Carolinas and yeah. there's people in Texas that are looking to, you know, diversify and get out of Texas and get into the Carolinas where you could be boots on the ground. Yeah. I mean, that's a great idea. And then even if you go back, why someone say, well, why would you volunteer to be asset managers in LP? Well, I needed the experience. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, right, even though I learned a ton doing it, I could say to people, listen, I've got some experience, you know, and, and I've toured a lot of properties. But I also want to go back and clarify that that I do put a lot of that message out there. But on the other side, I'm just like I'm selective of who I invest with. I'm more selective who I partner with. Sure. Like like I turn down 100 people um, to the 10 maybe that I would go look at a deal for them. I don't know you, you're out of the blue, you're in the middle of a raise, you're in trouble. Um, I'm not interested. Thank you very much. Like next time, if you're forming the deal, contact me. And in fact, let's, if, if we got a good synergy, I'll let you get over your problem and let's connect after you close the deal and get to know each other better. Um, because it's even more important to have the right partners, right? Because now I'm not only selecting the person who's responsible for my money, 
I'm selecting the partners that's responsible for my investors money. Um, huge, huge step up in responsibility. Um, I've taken somebody's life savings and they've trusted me with it. I mean, it takes a people a long time to earn $50,000 sitting in a bank account. It takes a long time. Um, Absolutely. It, it, you know, it just doesn't happen overnight. And so on the partnership side, I'm super, super cautious as well. And that's part of the reason why I go to these networking events. You know, I see how do they interact with people that come up and talk with them. Right. You know, are they open and approachable and are they helpful and, you know, or do they just are they arrogant because they're big shots and blow them off? Because there are a lot of arrogant big, big shots that are doing well. Um, there's people that don't return my calls <laughs> and, you know, um, and, and it, so you just you, no time for them. No. And, and look, the, the people that are going to invest with you. That's important. Like I, I have limited partners and they're like, look, Darren, I, I've got, you know, a busy life. I've got, you know, a, a job. I think that what you guys are doing in the multifamily world is great and the returns are, are much better than I can get in the stock market. But, like, I'm not going to spend the time yeah. getting to know all these people. And so the value of me working with you is that you vetted those partners, yeah. you know, you, you are saying that, look, you know, even though the limited partner doesn't know them, you know them yes. and you trust them. And, you know, that means a big deal. That's a big deal. So, yeah. Um, and that's, that's the huge. power, too, of joining a, a mentor program, right? You know, obviously you're in the Sumrock program. Right. And, you know, you, you're, you have, you could spend, a, you can separate the wheat for the chaff pretty easy by the people that show up. And I've, I got to say, like, you know, most of my best friends are in the Sumrock program just because it's so Texas powerful. And there's a huge value in that, right? Because, you you know who's doing good deals and who's good partners and uh, in those kind of environments, you know, there's very few people that get on the second deal that weren't really good partners on the first deal. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, I've interviewed a lot of people on the podcast and when it comes to partners, what I, what I've been told is because I've had good partners. I haven't had the bad one yet. Um, and, but I've been told that, where it's fallen out, and it's only been a few people, but they've shared where it fell out was really not so much on their ability as a business person, but more, hey, they weren't completely aligned from a mm -hmm. moral compass standpoint. Yeah. You know? And when a, a de certain decision had to be made, they were making decisions that maybe it, for sure they didn't agree with. Yeah. Um, you know, from a moral compass standpoint and whether it was legal or not, like assume it was illegal, but they just would have handled it differently. Yeah. And those were partners that they were not happy with and they chose, I'm not going to partner with those type of yeah. people again. So I, I agree. Partnerships are, are very important. And look, look, as an LP, you're spending a year to get to know people you know, as a G GP and who you're going to work with, you know, sometimes it's, you know, multiple years. Like I've yeah. had people contact me off Instagram, like, Hey Darren, I got this deal in Ohio. And like, do you want to be a GP on it? I'm like, I don't even know you. 
Like yeah. I haven't met you once and you're calling me and you want me to be a partner on that. I'm like, look, next time you're in Dallas, like let's sit down and have coffee. Yeah. Like it's the guys that I'm partnering with, I've known for a year, two years, three years, yeah. four years. Like it's, it's just, um, it, it just makes sense. You want to yeah. know who you're doing business with. Um, so what else can people learn from a guy who's invested in 20? Most people, I have to say, most people have invested maybe three deals, four deals, five yeah. deals. Like, you know, you're fortunate that you're, you have the capital to invest in. in yeah, and deals. part of it too yeah. is un understanding a little bit how the game works. So I, I am fortunate enough to be an accredited investor and I'm fortunate enough that I'm, I know a lot of people. So there are some times that I've gone in for less than the minimum because I don't mess up their unaccredited investor number. So right. I've said, and I've, and I've also said, listen, I really want to get in your deal, but this is all I got left in my IRA. Um, and I understand if you got to kick me out, if someone comes along with a bigger number, but it doesn't normally happen on, on the accredited side. It can happen on the sophisticated sides because it's capped at 35 people. So I've been fortunate where, you know, there's a couple of deals where I've got in for less than the minimum. So it sounds like I'm in, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not quite as... Well, you know, let, but, let me share that with the listeners because that I think is is key. Like people, there there are some listeners that are looking to get in their first deal, right? Yeah. And and maybe fifty grand, seventy five grand, a hundred grand is a lot for them to bite off. And just know that you can go to the syndicator and say, "Hey, can I get in for what is it, whatever your number is? Yeah, you know, thirty five thousand, twenty five thousand. Like, and they may say no, right? But they may say yes to get you in, you know, because if, if you have a good experience, then you may invest more the next time. Or when that deal goes 2x, now you've got 50 grand and you may yeah. roll that into the next deal. So And, and sometimes important. there's been conditions, right? Like if we have a larger, again, that was we have a larger person that we need to bring in, right? Because on the sophisticated, they can only bring so many people into a deal. So if I'm number 34 and I'm only in it, you know, 50 on 100 and someone comes in at 100, I'm going to lose my spot. And, I, and sure. as a passive, you need to understand that you may need to do that. Um, but it's not happened to me. And it's and it's allowed me, you know, hey, I want to get in your deal, but this is all I have left. You know, especially some certain things I like to invest with my IRA money, um, you know, uh, just because it, it's better use for it. Um, because you can't get a lot of the benefits of the accelerated depreciation and some of the other things. So I would prefer to use it there. Fantastic. So what is your next big stretch goal, my friend? Where do you, where do you go from here? Yeah, so my big stretch goal is 5,000 doors in five years. And you're at? Well, 1250, but 1250? yeah. yeah. So, so five years from now, you want to be at 5,000 doors. Yeah. And, and that's just about, a number I put the out there. Split between LP and GP, anything? 50-50. 50-50. Awesome. And um, so next year, how many GP deals? I want to do three. Three GP. Yeah, I think these people that do too many in a row stretch themselves too thin and put, put people at risk. Um, so I'd like, you know, I, I don't want to be, you know, I think three is going to be within my comfort level. 
Um, I can still give them a good, good amount of my attention. You know, you see some of these people, man, I get a deal a month. I'm like, how are they keeping up? Like, uh, you know, and I know some people are building massive teams, right? There's some companies that are just building massive teams, but I, I like the GPs to be people that are in the deal, aware of the deal, not run by people that work for them. Sure. Uh, but you know, I, what I love about this is, I don't know, when you did your first LP deal, did you think that you were going to end up having a, a goal of 5,000 Never. doors? I mean, that's, that's, and that's what I want listeners to understand is like, look, you have to take some action and get into your first deal, you know, whether it's being a limited partner or buying a duplex or fourplex or 12plex or, you know, getting in a, in a GP deal. You have to do something and then it starts, you, your mind expands to the next thing. Yeah. And then to the next thing. And to the next thing. Because you have the knowledge base and the comfort of knowing, you know, but you didn't know that before. Yeah. And, and then it's you, interesting, too. We talk about doors. So yeah. my goal is to get to five. But then I actually want to reduce the number of doors and increase the quality of the assets, right? So, you know, so I, I, you know, my goal is eventually to have three, three major deals, and I call them apartments that I would live in, in one of the states that I like to do business and or live in. It's kind of a strange goal, um, but on my vision board, you know, I have something in the desert in Arizona, I have something in Texas, and I have something in Florida, and, you know, one has palm trees, one has mountains and sunsets for Arizona. And, you know, so my goal is to have, so even though that would be less doors, my goal is I would be a bigger portion of the GP team, the lead, and their higher quality assets, um, because that will be easier for me to get out of in a 1031 uh, if, if I could be, have that plan, right? Not right now, there's, it's hard to get to where that plan works unless you're, you're a bigger part of a deal. That's very cool. You also mentioned vision board, you know, yeah. like listeners, like if you haven't heard of a vision board, like Google it, like make yourself one. I mean, like you, I have one, like you have to look at something and have a vision for where you're going. You can't just let life push you around. Yeah. So, and for me, the vision board, I didn't show the complex. I showed what I'm looking at sitting on my balcony. Oh, you know, nice. so in Florida, I'm looking at palm trees and some sort of, and, you know, Arizona, I'm looking at a sunset with a mountain behind me. And then, you know, cause that's my vision. I want to be sitting on that patio going, wow, I'm here. <laughs> I, you know um, hey invite me when you get there <laughs> i want i want to come all right hey uh if people want to reach out to you what's the best way for them to reach out to you yeah so i'm very active on linkedin so k trevor thompson um my website is niagara-investments.com and email is simply ktt at niagarainvestments.com so why Niagara Investments? Yeah, so I'm from Niagara Falls, Canada. All right, very good. And um, all right, I've been meaning to ask you this. So if you guys don't know Trevor Thompson, like he always spells his name K dot Trevor Thompson. So I want to know what the K stands for. Yeah, so it's Keith. That's my legal name. Okay. And when I turned 16, 
I went to buy a car. And my parents, of course, were frugal, so they told me I had to have savings bonds. So I had some savings bond that said Keith, some that said Trevor, some that said Keith Trevor. And at the time, I worked for a guy that used his first initial, and I thought that was cool. So I, at <laughs> age 16, I became K. Trevor Thompson. And until it even mattered, my driver's license, credit cards all said K. Trevor Thompson. Now it matters with 9-11 and all the other things. So passport and credit cards are now Keith and hotel stays are Keith. So, um, but uh, yeah, so that, that's, that's, that's how funny. it came. I'm always like, it's K. Trevor. Like, <laughs> and so I'm like, what is that K? So that, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then cool I got one more too. thing too for the listeners. Yeah. You got to continue to learn all the time, right? And, and one of the things I want to do is I want to talk about your book here a little oh, bit. Um, thank you, so, sir. So not only was it an awesome book, I bought four books that you recommended and I'm going to have them read over the little while. Um, you got to continue to learn all the time, right? We um, all do. I mean, look, I, mean, I, I bought a duplex. I never thought I would have a podcast or write a book or be in, you know, a ton of deals. But like, that's what, what happens if you take action. Yeah. It snowballs. And then you start helping other people. And so that's, that's what it's all about is helping other people, um, you know, get further along in their life and, and create their vision. Yeah, it is. So, uh, hey, Trevor, I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you sharing this is a um, pleasure. Listeners, look, this guy, he he's done a ton in business and in real estate. And in five years from now, I wouldn't be surprised if he's way surpassed that 5,000 number because <laughs> this guy's a go-getter. He's a networker. Um, he's a good guy to be on your team. So other GPs, reach out to Trevor, and um, he will be selective, but he may be a good, great partner to have. So um, until next week. Signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. <laughs>